We are blessed. We are so blessed. Amen. To be called by his name. Amen. How many of you ever sit around just thinking about the goodness of God? I mean, just thinking about it. How, how great he is and how awesome he is in your life. What he's done for you. Everything that he accomplished so that you and I could enjoy the fullness of life and everything else. Praise God. Well, I'm going to give you a good testimony. Uh, I went to the doctor again. My umpteenth time to go to the doctor again. <laughs> Keep going to the doctor. You know, they, they like my blood. They like, you know, all of those things. But I, I went into the doctor this time. I, I just did my eighth endoscopy where they go down your, your throat and, and um, check all that stuff out. I'm glad I'm out when they do that uh, and everything. But uh, anyway, they went down and the do doctor, uh, uh, the report was, he said, I can't find anything in there. I said, well, there's, there, there, there's got to be something in there. He said, no, I, I couldn't find anything negative in there. No cancer, no tumor, no Barrett's disease. There's nothing in there. Everything is a positive report. And I said, well, just keep on documenting it. You know, just keep on documenting it. Uh, so they want to check me again in six months. I said, okay, check me again in six months. Uh, then they did a CAT scan on me as well to double check and see if there's anything. Can't find anything negative at all. And I said, "Well, that's because the Lord has healed me." I said, "I said I I have a miracle." A miracle. Amen. So that's an awesome report, and uh, we're, we're so grateful and, and thankful for the goodness of God. You know, we have a covenant, and what he did for me, he, he'll do for anybody. It doesn't make any difference. It's, and the truth of the matter is, is it's what we build our life and our faith on, and it's, it's in our belief. If we put it into our belief system, then whenever the challenges come in life, and the enemy tries, he tries, uh, to take us out in whatever way he possibly can. But uh, he's a defeated foe. If we believe that, we accept that, we appropriate that into our life. And I think I, I've already told everybody, but the first words that came out of my mouth when they diagnosed me with uh, esophageal cancer, I said, I have a covenant. I have a covenant. And that covenant has given me certain provisions in life, and uh, I accept those provisions for me. And so, for you and I, I don't know what your challenge might be. Seems like sometimes there's things up in our physical bodies and everything else, but I want you to know it doesn't make any difference about your age. We still have a covenant in the blood of Jesus, and we have every right to walk in the newness of life so that we can fulfill the mandate that he's placed upon us. He said with a long life, would he satisfy us and show us his salvation? So let's take on what the word has to say concerning us. Believe it, receive it, activate it, 
into our life and remind the devil, you have no right. You have no right. This is, this is the temple of the living God. Amen. We just song, sang the song about this, this house being the temple of the living God. Amen. Revival is already in you. It's, how, it's what you do with it and what I do with it determines the outcome. Amen. Praise God. So we take every opportunity to be a witness when the Lord opens the door. And how many of you know we need to look for doors to be opened? We need to be looking for those doors. We don't have to knock the doors down. Doors will open. Amen. Praise God. Uh, we were in Hawaii. Diane and I were in Hawaii. Uh, it's been a number of years ago. And I never will forget while we were in Honolulu, we... Uh, uh, walking by uh, a market area, and there was this young man standing up on his soapbox, I mean literally a box, upon his soapbox with his Bible, preaching damnation to those that did not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, I realize, you know, that uh, there is a hell to shun, amen, and a heaven to gain. But the Bible says, love never fails. You, you win people with love, not with condemnation, condemning them. Most unsaved people already know that they're not born again. They, they know that. I was an unsaved person for a number of years, and I knew I was lost. You know, I was, I was lost. I knew I was but I didn't have anybody that was sharing the love of God with me. What I had was condemnation and those type of things being spoken to me rather than the love of God. Once I had somebody come and share the love of God with me in my home who had come out of the pits of darkness himself and he shared his life of where he came from and who brought him out of all of that, I said, he asked me, he said, would you like to be born again? I said, well, certainly I would like to be born again. It, but I, I want what you have. He said, well, what I have is the love of God on the inside of me. I said, well, I can see that. I haven't seen that in other Christians. Most of them were hanging out in the same place as I was. And uh, Diane and I went to a Southern Baptist church because that's where she was raised is in the Southern Baptist church. And I was raised a heathen. And... Uh, I didn't go to church. Uh, the only time we had a church at just a, a couple oh, doors down from us across the street. It was a church of Christ. And I knew the pastor there. I went in there and introduced myself as a kid. And uh, he, he wanted to know, because I'd go into the kitchen, I'd sneak into his kitchen, and I'd drink the juice <laughs> and eat the crackers. And he said, are you the one that's been stealing the, the juice and the crackers? And I said, yes, sir. And uh, he said, well, I knew it was you. He said, but I didn't have the heart to say anything to you about it. He said, he said I just want you to know that the Lord God still loves you. He still loves you. My grandmother went to that church, or my stepmother's mother. I called her grandmother. But she went to that church, and I would go occasionally with her because I like to sing. They like to sing. So, you know, I like to go in there and sing. And I would take communion 
because they would take communion every service that they they have. I would take communion. So that's how I got addicted to the juice and the crackers. <laughs> and so I found out where they were stored, and I would help myself to them. Anyway, you know, God's good. He's been really good to me and to Diane, and I know he's been good to you. But if you're faced with any trials, just be encouraged that he's still on his throne. He's still doing what he said, and he's saying what's rightfully yours. Amen. You lay claim on it and believe God. Amen. Well, we have some guest speakers for you today again. Amen. I want you to give Kevin and Penny a good hand as they come to share with you this morning. Love you, brother. You going to share any of your testimony yeah, at all? Yeah, it's going to be some, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This guy is a miracle. He is. He really is a miracle. Thank you. Go for it. Thank you so much, Pastor. Man, it is good to be here. It's a little intimidating looking at all these beautiful faces. I mean, there's enough wisdom in this room to save the world, right? I mean, there's just mature Christians, people who love God, and... uh it's just an honor to be here. Penny didn't know she was going to be up here, yeah, so I'll, I yeah. want to say one thing. So, uh, the days of Elijah, the song "Days of Elijah." I just want to say a shout out to Sharon Richardson that uh, I had an opportunity to drive her to an emergency room one night, and we were flying down. Well, I was flying down; she was riding uh, Chisholm Trail, and guess what we were singing. Days of Elijah. So every time I sing that song, I think about her. God bless her. And she's a miracle, too. She is a walking miracle. I think that night she was singing praise and worship songs to all the nursing staff and <laughs> in the emergency room. She was ministering, even though she was going through a serious health crisis. just shows the testimony of the, the Lord in her. She's pouring out, even though she's going through her physical stuff. That's just incredible to me. I don't know if I would have been that. I don't I'm hoping I would be. Amen. Uh, you were. <laughs> oh, praise God. Okay, go ahead and sit down. All right. And all right. Thanks. So but we are the joys. No, I don't, I don't mind. We are the joys. And, uh, you know, this, this whole life thing with uh, just being restored, um, coming to this place, coming to this church, getting rooted and planted and, and just really uh, getting involved in this community that we call family has just been a blessing. And it's just been an awesome time. Um, I quit my job, so I, uh, and we're reaching out in faith. We're just believing that uh, we have a ministry, and we have opened a ministry called In Truth and Love Ministries, and it's a, um, a more of an inner healing counseling type ministry. So that's in the works. We're getting our website built and everything. And that's what I've been doing. That's what Penny's been doing for, I've been doing it for about 14 years and Penny's been on board for about 10 and it's a different ministry, but you know, there's a lot of, um, mystery sometimes behind what inner healing is and what deliverance is and how it's presented. And there's some people that, uh, abuse it and don't do it correctly. And then there's others that it, it changes your life. And my experience was on the positive side of that. It changed my life. And, you know, I was, I was raised in foster care. I was, um, uh, abandoned at age three. So I was left in a, I remember the first place we went was called McLaren Hall. We were able to grab a toy as they were putting us in a foster home. And I grabbed that Jack and Jill wind up toy and took it with me. But, 
you know, you have parents that I think, for my experience, was just, they did it for money, not for for the love. You know, I didn't have that affirmation or love from parents. Uh, I think I went through about eight foster homes where, you know, the abuses come. And that's what I went through was some, some abuse. And I had some uh, very strong, you know, I was tortured in, in one home at age, from four to six, I was made to do things that most people would never uh, have to do. And it put a bitterness and an anger in me. And so I ended up living my life as a result of that. My, my, the bad things happened from age, I guess, zero to 12. And from 12 on, I lived in reaction to what happened to me, the anger, the rebellion, the, the, um, hurt and pain was coming out in ways that I didn't want them to come out. You know, when we stuff our, our pain, it, you can only stuff that trash compactor full so much before it starts coming out, whether you want it to come out or not. And it comes out in different ways. And mine was anger. Mine was, uh, you know, I became an arsonist. I was a, I became a burglar. I was, um, just a bad kid. I, you know, I, my dad said, uh, I'd only been, I got adopted when I was 12. So my dad said, you know, Kevin, I've never discovered a fire. And since you've been here, you've discovered 50 of them. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there lighting fires, you know, and that's just part of what the enemy did. It was just that, all that hurt and pain. Later on in life, I um, found out about alcohol and drugs and became a, a drug addict. I was a cocaine addict for, for many years, about six years. Um, Learned how to be very functional in it until it got me. And it eventually exposes you. So I had to go through a rehab center through the Navy. I was in the Navy, and I say, as messed up as I was, the Navy saved my life. And, you know, that's where I ran to when cocaine got too much. I went and turned myself in and said, I have a problem. And the Navy kept me and sent me through their rehab, and I, I believe saved my life that time. So I was cocaine free but they they said you know it's okay to drink just as long as you don't cause or alcohol related incident you're good so I became a very functional alcoholic <laughs> I was good at it too I was real good at it but that that became the course of my life and uh got out of military military got married of course that didn't work um I didn't know how to love had no concept of what love was you know when you're doing uh the way that I was raised it was just a I don't. I, I feel sorry for my ex-wife because there is no capacity in me to love at the level that's needed to be a husband, you know. And that's just the, the way the enemy works, you know. So you gotta gotta work through all that. Um, shortly after I got divorced, I I was moved. I'm already moved here to Texas with Lockheed, um, but I ended up in a in a bar. It was a gay bar, and there was a voice in my head that said, "This is where you belong. This is who you are." And that night, I believed that I was gay. I spent 19 years in a homosexual lifestyle in response to just, you know, I think the molestations, the things that that uh, went on. And, you know, I think there was also a generational curse of perverseness. Perverseness is homosexuality. It's a twisting of what God designed. You can pervert the word. You can pervert the sex. You can do whatever that God created. The enemy comes and tries to pervert. Amen. So it's a spirit. It's a spirit. So I tell everyone that as dealing with homosexuality, that you're, you might be born that way, but it's a spirit, it's a generational curse through your bloodline that can be broken by the blood of Jesus, amen? So it's just dealing with knowing what the enemy has and knowing what Jesus can do. You know, he is a defeated foe, so uh, I, through a series of events, I 
I had my pyramid of cans, beer, beer cans. I'd drink probably 13 of them a night, the 22-ounce Bud Ices I would uh, buy every night. I would get off work, and I'd hit uh, Lake Worth. I lived in Springtown. I'd buy my 13. I'd have two of them down me by the time I got to Springtown, and I would uh, drink till I was out of my gourd until I was about 10.30. I think I usually passed out on the couch, and I'd wake up at 4.30, go run my store as a retail manager, and I would do it all over again every day. But after a while, you know, I had been suicidal when I was 18 and 17. I tried suicide a few times. I don't know if I was, I guess if I was really sincere, I would have succeeded, but I think it was more attention-getting and just an expression of how I felt about me. Um, but I started getting suicidal again when I was 44, you know, and I was sitting there, and I asked God, I said, have you forgotten about me? No one comes and talks to me about God anymore. No one witnesses to me anymore. No one really says, hey, and I felt like no one cared, so I started getting back into those suicidal thoughts, and you know, I asked that question, and things started changing. Sometimes it's just a question to God, have you forgotten about me? And he starts answering, because you're lining yourself up and, to, to get a response from God. You start talking to him, he's going to talk back to you. And, and uh, I believe that's what got me to church. I thought I was going to burn going into the church. There was a little old lady that hugged me and said, oh, praise God you're here. And I said, I think I'm going to hell. <laughs> so so <laughs> kind of scared that I'm going to burn here. So, But I made sure I had all the exits marked, every avenue of exit, so I could run when I needed to. And there were times that I ran. I mean, there was just things that were being said in that church that I've never lined up or became an agreement with. That made me feel nervous and scared, you know. And so we, I had to learn a new language called Christianese, right? I had to learn to have faith in the Lord. I had to learn what faith was. I had to learn what hope was. I had to learn what trust was, what love was. All those things you have to learn. And, you know, in, in that time, you know, if I, I became a Christian, my partner, the guy that I was with for 19 years, he, he had HIV, so he, he had gone blind and that's why I was in Springtown. We are taking care of him. We lived next to his parents' house. And uh, I became a Christian, which kind of upset the apple cart. You know, you start getting the real true love of Jesus in your heart. It starts, starts causing a little bit of mess where you live if they're not in agreement with it. And so it did, five months. I, mean, I was there, and I knew I had to leave. I knew I had to move. And I'm trying to talk to Lee about Jesus. And, you know, his biggest thing was that he didn't want to be judged by the church. Isn't that sad? You know, I'm like, I'm experiencing something great at a church, and I'm telling him the word of God and truth, and he's still rejecting because he's so afraid of being judged by the church and rejected by the church. So that spoke volumes to me, you know, and uh, when it came time to leave, I was ready to leave. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm waiting on you. I need a place to stay. And he ended up working that out for me. About, it was a Sunday afternoon. I just got done with church. I was out in my yard chopping up yucca plants because those things have tubers they just grow everywhere so and I get done with that I go take a nap getting ready for uh, evening service and there's a knock at the door my roommates parents are there they live next door and they said Lee called he says he's having trouble using the restroom and so I went to the restroom they said he wants to talk to you walked in and he was hyperventilating he had sweat everything and he said he felt different so I called 911 and it just ended up right there that he died you know, drug him out of the, the bathroom and 
brought him to the, the dining room area and started CPR, and he just gave me the, the death stare. And, you know, um, I asked the Lord for, show me where I'm supposed to be. You know, the day of the funeral, here comes his dad, and he goes, Kevin, this is your place as long as you need it. And God covered me for two years in that place to where I could get inner healing about everything that ever happened to me. You know, it was hard. It was a time where, so we have to get real with God. If you have a hurt and pain in your heart, God wants to, to heal you. I mean, every hurt and pain that you've gone through, every traumatic event, God is there just holding out his arm saying, come to me. But a lot of times in pride and through ignorance, sometimes we don't allow the Lord to take those places that we've built up pride walls and have never allowed access to. Because your pain becomes your pain. You own that. And so just being willing to to give that to the Lord over time. You know, in the military, I, I worked aviation. So the mission, you have the beginning of the mission, you have the PSR, and then you have the end of the mission. PSR is the point of safe return. It became so, I became so changed by God when I went through the seminar and, you know, got, you know, the spirit of perverseness and everything broken off of me. But walking out that time, God said, Kevin, you're, you're past the point of safe return. You can't ever go back to where you've been because if you, you know, in the mission, if you, if you have an in-flight emergency or anything right before you hit PSR, you can go back to your port of point of origin. If you go past point of safe return, you have to go to where your destination is, right? He goes, Kevin, you've gone past PSR. There's no way that you can ever go back to who you were. You don't even identify with that person anymore. So you have to grieve who you used to be and move on into your destiny. And that's what I did. I grieved who I used to be. And I honor that part of my life. And I'm not ashamed of my life. But I had to recognize who I was and who I'll never be again. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's when I knew what a new creation is. That's the new creation reality, right? That we've been so changed by God that we can never go back or identify with who we used to be. And that's my God. That's your God. And so... Our, our ministry is about bringing truth encounters to where, you know, to come out of that, what holds you bound. Because there's a lot of things, these little subtle things the enemy likes to do to just to keep you bound. Ways of thinking, thoughts that encroach in your, into your salvation mindset. And so that's what we do. So I, my, de- my talk today was going to be on purpose. You know, we have the purpose as the older generation to pass the torch to the younger generation. Right, that we have to dare to care. We have to dare to to speak the truth when the youth of this world are kind of in a chaotic state. I mean, they believe in things that are totally of the devil, and the devil seems to be having his way. But we do see remnants of the youth that are believers that are rising up, that are protesting in schools, that are coming against the the knowledge of what the enemy is doing. I mean, he's just coming against the lies that, that are being uh, forced into and the indoctrination and everything. So I kind of, you know, Psalm 78, 1 through 4 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, and I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from, from old things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And in Psalm seventy-one, eighteen, it says, So even to the old age and gray hairs, O God, don't forsake me until I proclaim your might to, the, to another generation, your power to all those that come. 
All right, so it's our, we have to pass on to the generations what, who God is, the love of Christ. All of that needs to be imparted to the generation that seems so resistant, that seems like they don't care. But if you're talking it, they're listening to it. I listened to, like Pastor Phil said, I knew about Jesus. I knew about God, and I knew I wasn't saved. I, had the, I knew that what I was doing as a homosexual was wrong. I had that conviction long before I was even in that lifestyle. But I chose not to receive. But it was the seeds planted long ago from people who dared to say something. You know, when we plant a seed in faith, we're planting a seed. We may never see it sprout or grow, but we're planting seeds, and we have faith that those seeds will grow later on. And that's what happened in my life. I believe every person that ever spoke to me about God in 7-Eleven where I ran my stores and uh, just a little amount of God that was injected to me, maybe in a foster home or someone who pretended like they care, grew. And so when they grew up, they grew up with all the weeds in my life and I was able to make a choice who I was going to serve and I chose God. You know, so it's our job to plant the seed to speak the truth. I mean, I hear a lot of people, we do a lot of sessions, one-on-one sessions of people that come in and their, their lives, are, they're in a spot. You know, they have whatever it is. It could be homosexuality. It doesn't even have to be anything serious. They just want a, a level of freedom. So we just start interviewing them, talk about okay, lies that they might believe, be believing. We all, we're always following the Holy Spirit. We're just dealing with their story and hearing what they say. But there's things that they say, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's saying, well, that's... That's a lie they're believing. So then you just correct it with the truth and pray about that. Repent for coming in agreement with it. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads us to do, we do. But we have to be able to be free enough to pass the torch to our, our generation. And a lot of times what I've noticed is some of the younger people that we minister to, they're complaining about their mom and dads who might be shoving Jesus down their throat. Right? I think as a... We do. We want them to receive everything that we have. So we might become a little too aggressive at times, or we might, you know, just want that. And all of a sudden we have a, an angry child that's been wounded because you know, I've, I found that I have to live on the fringe of someone's life sometimes and wait for the right moment to inject just a little bit of love of Jesus to get them to turn around. Yeah. It's not about me giving them the gospel from my mouth and shoving it down their throat. It's about just that right time right place to show the love of Christ right at that moment. And that's the seed that's planted that they may not show anything for five years, but five years down the road might start sprouting some, you know, I'm not responsible for that salvation. Jesus is, but I can certainly plant seeds of hope, faith, and love into their lives and help them. You know, um, a lot of times uh, when we're dealing with the older generation, we, uh, the fear that comes on, you know, there's worry, there's tension, there's stress, there's torment, there's things that, that come along where people get fearful about um, they have to get their children saved or they have to get this done or they have to get the And the Lord says worry for nothing, right? So we're, we're supposed to come against the spirit of fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. And we're supposed to be able to impart that to our kids and not live in fear because people that are anxious, you know when someone's anxious, right? You can feel it on them when they walk into a room. 
So when you're trying to engage someone and trying to show them the love of Christ, but you have all this anxiety on you, they're like, what's that? (laughs) That's not supposed to be there. So we need to, you know, work on how we do things. So we're all ministers of reconciliation. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians, so so from, it's uh, verse 16, uh, chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have to be reconcilers. And I think we do that in our normal lives every day where we're reconciling things in our spirit that don't line up to what God wants us to do. We need to be doing that for the generations. We need to be doing that for our friends. We need to be doing that and just showing that love and it's that reconciling spirit that needs to be happening in them, in us, and spreading because that'll spread like wildfire, right? Love and compassion, mercy, you know. So how do we effectively minister? How do we effectively minister? We minister from the heart. The things that God has done from your testimony, what you've been brought through, what you came out of, what you've overcome. When we're uh, an H1, on John eight thirty one through 32, it says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We uh, operate in truth and love. That's, that's the formula to me, truth and love. I mean, when I started ministering at a recovery center, you know, God puts us where he wants us. I ended up pastoring at a, a ministry center and you deal with a lot of awkward stuff. I mean, your real life events happen. You see people dying. You see people that are liars. You see, and you have to be able to deal with the awkward. And you can't get mad at the person. You have to, in truth and love, lead them into a corrective part state. You know where you're saying, "Okay, I love you, brother, but this is wrong." Word of God says, or whatever. We love you, uh, but learning how to speak in love and also correction. Like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down type of thing. It's, we have to balance that. We have to be able to really show them that they're accepted who they are. Hate the sin and love the sinner, right? And uh, make that very distinct that, that we love you. We love you. Um, there's things that we listen for when Penny and I are doing ministry. And uh, there's just ways that the, the devil has a way into us, has access to us. Access to us and that's through willful sin, right? Wages of sin is death. Um, vows and judgments, judgments we make, keep us locked down into a, a, just a path of doing. I mean, what we've experienced is what we're going to live out. If I never want to be with my, be like my father, I end up like my father. If I, I'll never be an alcoholic, I became an alcoholic. You know, these things that we judge kind of come back and revisit us. Or I go inward and say, you know, people are going to hurt me. People can't be trusted. People this, people that. Authority will hurt me. Authority isn't fair. I live my life like that, and I have trouble dealing with authority figures. I have trouble 
um, with my jobs that I have. I, I'm success blocked because I can't get past that authority. There are judgments I've made, so I'm listening for that when I'm listening to people talk in a session or, or dealing with them at a counseling level. I'm listening for that willful sin. You hear what they have to say. Well, I've been out drinking, or I've done this. Well, those sins need to be repented for. It's not a matter of shame. It's just, okay, we're going to get right with God so we can shut that that door that's open to the devil, and he can't mess with you anymore. Resist the devil, and he will flee. So we're going to repent because that's a weapon that we use to defeat the enemy. So you have the vows and judgments, then you have generational curses, which is things that come through the bloodline. Alcoholism, even a lot of infirmity, a lot of diseases come through the bloodline. So we're listening for that and dealing with that. Another one is, uh, and I think this is the one that the most was unforgiveness because I hated that one foster dad who did what he did to me. He made me eat feces and drink. I know that's gross, but it just to show you the what it is that, you know, there's people sitting next to you through some things. And it, and it becomes very real. So how does God fix that? So unforgiveness was a big deal for me. And so not allowing the Lord to come in and just really uh, minister to me because I had so much hate and anger. That was the guy. He was a Nabisco salesman. And I boycotted Nabisco all my life. I never <laughs> would eat Nabisco products just because Jim Hogue is on every package of <laughs> that Nabisco thing. So forgiving was a hard thing. But it's a process, and the, the, the nature of the forgiver is in us. I don't think it's naturally um, possible to forgive, but it's the Lord in us that helps us forgive. So finally, after a year of trying to get off layer of layer of this guy, you know, I, God just had me envision me taking him to the foot of the cross and crying out for forgiveness for both of us because we were both sinners. And there is no measure of sin. Sin is sin. So he cried out for both of us, and then he gave me a compassion for what he went through. I saw the woundedness in him and that little boy that he was probably when he was getting the same stuff done to him. And it's just so important to realize that the enemy doesn't care who you are. He just wants to kill you. He just wants to kill you. And so he can do it by a lot of different ways. But if we're rooted and grounded in the Word of God and the love of God, there's nothing he can do to us. All we do is become stronger. We become more of a voice for righteousness and truth, right? And that's, that's the big deal. Another one is uh, trauma. A lot of people are traumatized from things. I was severely traumatized by all the stuff I took. And a lot of that trauma allows fear to come in. It allows unforgiveness to operate. It allows all kinds of different lies to, to start coming in. There's a spirit of lying, a spirit of fear. Uh, also, infirmity, uh, sickness starts coming in because your body isn't designed to take the negativity and, the, and the, the stuff that you're trying to hold on to, the bitterness. It says bitterness dries up the bones. I think it's Proverbs 22. You know, that's a physical manifestation of unforgiveness in our lives. So we see it manifesting. All this stuff, just, just all this jumbled mess, and the enemy wants to take you out on it. So when you're listening to people... The biggest thing is listening. 95% of what we do as Christians should be listening. Hearing what the heart is saying and what's not being said. Once you identify, you can just gently say, hey, I heard you say that. Did you know that God says this? Can I pray with you? And it gives you that ministry opportunity to just 
correct something that someone had a false belief system or how about a false identification of what love is? How about just all the things that the enemy locks us down in? And it's just that ministry of reconciliation. We need to recognize the schemes of the enemy and the access he has, which is willful sin, vows and judgments, generational curses, trauma, and unforgiveness. We shut those doors, and he doesn't have a right to be there. Because that's all legal ground that we give to the enemy when we have that operating. So we need to identify that also in our our younger generations. Be listening. Hey, I hear that you're mad at your mom and dad. Have you ever thought about forgiving? Well, no, I'm trying, but can we pray? Stuff like that. You know, I know that this bad thing happened to you. When I, in 2018, uh, talk about this church being amazing. And we started coming here in September 7, uh, September 2017? 2017, yeah. And uh, I was working at a chemical plant. And in 2018, we just moved to this new plant. It's cost $2.1 million to build. And uh, I'd go through the, it was a Christian-owned company, I'd go through the plant and bless all the, the product, bless the everything, praise and worship being played and everything. Well, on March 15th, 2018, we had a catastrophe happen, and I was in the room next to the first explosion, and uh, the whole wall shook, and we all looked up, and uh, I thought it was the trains next to us joining together, and then started talking to my crew again, and all of a sudden the wall bowed in and out. And I thought one of the blending tanks next in the next room had spilled over. And I was like, oh, so I was going to run and see if anyone got hurt. And then everything started disintegrating around us. And that uh, there's fireball smoke, and we're running for our lives. And God had blown open the roll door in the warehouse. That was our only sight, was the, just a reference to the light. And then the smoke overtook us, so we knew which direction to run because it was a lockdown facility because it was a food-grade facility. We wouldn't have had time to get to the doors. So that roll door in the second explosion blew open that roll door, and it saved my life. It saved, saved 12 of us. One of my buddies didn't make it out. He was killed. He was at the point of the explosion. Another one of my employees behind me was burdened 30% of his body, and he's already gone on to be with the Lord. He had a motorcycle accident. But... Um, the power of prayer. You know, Penny used to pray for me every day. I'd wake her. I wouldn't wake her up. She's always awake. So, <laughs> so I get, I come out of the bathroom all dressed and ready to go. And, and she'd hold my hand. She goes, well, God keep you safe from hurt or harm. God protect you. Bless this day. And just the, and you know, after a while that gets pretty routine. I'll tell you what, running from a fireball and not being burned. And I was out there, I was on my hands and knees, and people were screaming for Dylan. He's the one that passed. And the helicopters were flying over because, of course, it's going to be a huge national event because it's a chemical plant. Let's vilify everything we do. Um, Her prayers came to my mind. God, keep you safe from hurt or harm. No hurt or harm come to you today in Jesus' name. Every day, every day. And I got home. After, you know, just a horrible time. And she checked my backside. <laughs> she looked for that burns and, and smoke. And, oh. He didn't smell like smoke. Nothing. Nothing. No smoke. No singe hair. 
from where he was, because I had been in the building before, and from where he was next to this room, we're talking paper thin wall. We're talking like a we're talking like a sheetrock. I mean, there's nothing between them except except you know three quarter inch sheetrock. I mean, it's tiny. And for that to happen, and you know, he called me. He said, "I just need to let you know that there was an explosion today, and I need to call you before you saw it on the news." And I said, "There was not." He goes, "Yeah, there's just helicopters flying around, and Dylan's gone. We can't find Dylan." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what do we do? What do you do?" So I start praying for that they can find Dylan. And then, but I knew, you know, you just know, I mean, Holy Spirit, you know. But you know what happened? It's two weeks earlier, Kevin. Two years earlier, Kevin was able to lead Dylan to the Lord on the forklift. He's 26. He was 26. So that's a generational thing. I mean, he just asking the question. He, I was talking about Jesus. I said, do you know Jesus? He goes, no, I don't. I said, do you want to know? He goes, yeah. So I started telling him the gospel. I said, you ready to accept it? And we said the prayer. He would sneak into my office and, and look at my Bible, and he'd always come up with Bible questions for me. And stuff like that. He was a young rapper, had a had a daughter that was six years old. And, you know, his parents heard that he accepted the Lord and asked me to do his funeral. It's the hardest thing I ever did, but I was sure honored to do it and usher that man home. You know, they found him after five days in the building. But, you know, there is this church, I mean, the praying church. I remember Betty. I, the first, it was, it happened Thursday, and it was Sunday we came to church, and I was in there, and the, all the walls were bowing in and out. In the and so I came out here, and I, I just couldn't be in a, in a room because it was like just too much. And here comes Betty, and she's praying over me. And other times where I had things going on, the, the staff, the people, and just showing their love. And, you know, God is in the healing business. And it's through us, too, that he heals people. And through love, there's healing, all that stuff. And it's so, it's so neat to walk through it. I hated that it happened. But it was another example of how much God loves me and how much he loves Penny, how much he loves you. I mean, just the, the, the stories we can tell. Everyone has a story here of the miracles that have been done in your lives and how God has saved you. you know, but I understand how, now that God is truly Truly, truly, he heals the brokenhearted. You know that? So, um, you know, he's talking about running the recovery ministry. Many of you may know, uh, but my son was a heroin addict. And uh, when he was running his recovery ministry in Springtown, uh, I went was going through a divorce. You know, my life burned down again, and I was going through a divorce, and Kevin called me out of the blue. So the last time I saw Kevin, he wasn't saved. Okay, so I've known Kevin since like 2002, 2003, around there. We've known each other a long time. And um, so he called me out of the blue, and he says, hey, I was just going through my phone. I'm looking for somebody to, to work the night shift, and I saw your number. I thought I'd call. And he called, and this was in October. This is October of 2012. And uh, he says, well, how's things going? And I said, well, everything's okay. I'm here by myself. He says, well, where is everybody? I said, they're all gone. My, they left. In other words, my husband uh, left with my best friend and walked out. And um, it was like the plane crash because the whole family was on it because nobody called. Nobody called and said, hey, how are you doing? Uh, just wanted to check on you, you know. So 
it was like I was all alone. But God was doing a work. God was doing a work. Me, Joyce Meyer, Robert Morris, started listening to a lot of people preaching. I started, uh, had some girls at work that were praying for me. Uh, drugged me out of the ditch a bunch of times. I was an emotional wreck sometimes. But Kevin called me out of the blue. And so he says, hey, I'm running this recovery ministry in Springtown. I said, you're doing what? So he goes, yeah, I got saved, and um, I'm running this recovery ministry. I said, he goes, I'm a pastor. And I just, I was like, what? You're... Wow. He goes, yeah, it's recovery ministry. I said, for what? He says, drugs and alcohol. I said, wow, no kidding. And he says, yeah. And I said, well, my son. So my son had been in and out of trouble, uh, was addicted to opiates uh, for about 10 years. And it was bad. Lost a lot of money. He went to, he went to jail. He had a lot of trouble, a lot of things. Um, wasn't, it, it definitely didn't have any, any good effect on my marriage. Uh, lost his family. I mean, it was, it was a terrible time. It was a terrible time. But God, but God, when he called me and told me what he was doing, I told him what was going on with my son, Tommy. And he says, well, we'll pray for him. I'll start praying for him. I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, go ahead and pray for him. Yeah, I pray for him too, you know. So uh, he started praying for him. And so we stayed in touch. And he, said, he would say, or he'd text me and say, how's Tommy doing? I said, well, not good. He's stealing, he's stealing pills from us, my stepdad and, or he's, you know, buying pills on the street, whatever he was doing. And he was living with my mom of all people. So she saw him overdose and he had overdosed three times. And, uh, so around Christmas, I guess we called and he says, so let's just pray for God to box him in. So he has to cry out. I'm like, okay. You know, so I'm, my faith is building. My faith is building. And by a godly man that's calling and saying, hey, you know, and start speaking that truth and love, that's truth and love, and giving me truth encounters about how to speak to Tommy, how to pray for Tommy. And he says, you know, God's God's, and he's a miracle working God. And I know he is. I know he is. But how is that going to apply to this situation when nothing else seems to work? So he prayed for him to cry out. And in, I guess in January, Tommy uh, overdosed and he, he, um, he, he survived by the grace of God. He survived and he was scared. And then when he woke up, he called me the next day and he told me, he says, mom, I got to tell you something, but he never told me what he was doing. I, I didn't know he was doing heroin. I didn't, I had no clue. I thought he was just doing opiates, you know, pills and just doing opiates. Yeah. Oxycontin and all that good stuff. So, which is, and it's terrible. So uh, February, he calls, and, and uh, Kevin calls, and he says, well, how's Tommy? I said, I don't know. I keep praying for him, and I keep asking, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to stop? Are you ready to, you know, there's life after this, Tommy. There's life. And I start talking to him and praying, and, you know, I'm begging my son, you know, can you just choose life? Do you have to choose death? So he was at work. He was delivering papers, and he, he said that he was throwing papers one night, and he cried out. He cried out. He says, God, he says, I'm going to die. And uh, he said, the next time I stuck that needle in my arm, this is his testimony. He said, God said, if you do all of that, you're going to die. He heard an audible voice talking to him, 
and said, if you do that, you're going to die. And he didn't do it. And so by the grace of God, so Kevin says, I will keep a one, I have one bed open and I will keep it for one week. And he says, if he's not here by Sunday, I have a waiting list. And uh, Tommy called and says, I'm ready. So I pack him in the car. This was on, a, I think, a Friday night or a Saturday night. It was, it was February, <laughs> February the 13th. February the 13th, I put Tommy in the car from my mom's house, and he's crying, and I'm crying. And I'm driving to, I don't know where, in Springtown, Texas, out in the country. It was like Egypt, I think it's like. Over the next hill, around the corner, go four more miles. You'll see a barn on the right, and there's going to be... There's going to be a little fruit stand on the left. Go one more thing, turn left. And I'm like, there is no fruit stand. Everybody's got a barn. What are you talking about? I mean, out. I took Tommy. Kevin is up there, and he's just walking around this place. It was five acres. had two little houses on it. And he's walking around like, you know, I've got this sun, and he's like melting down in the car, and I'm, Thinking, oh, okay, oh, praise God, we're here, okay. And so he goes, hey, son, okay, let's go over here and talk. And we go into this little house where it was quiet. The men's house had like 20 people in it. The women's house, like eight. So it was really quiet over at the women's house and really lively over at the men's house. So he says, let's go here and we'll talk. And we sat down on the couch and uh, he says, is there anything you need to tell your mom? And I don't know. This is a discerning man of God that he is. Tommy took off his jacket and he rolled his jacket. He showed me the marks on his arms. That hurts so bad. That's my son. That's my son. Why would you do that to yourself knowing, knowing what the end, end result is going to be? You know your father is a drug addict. You've seen this. You've been around this all your life. You know. They loved him back to life. Eight days he was delivered from heroin. Absolutely delivered from heroin. Eight days. And he said, if, you, if he calls you, don't you come get him. He says, he's going, he's going to be real sick. And he was. And uh, eight days. And Tommy stayed nine months. And to this day, he's heroin free. It's been ten years. By the grace of God. Now I want to tell you about divine appointments. So Kevin and I met 2003. Who knew? Who knew? I mean, God knew. 2008, Kevin gets saved. And in 2013, my son has a need and surrenders his life to the Lord. And today, my son is a walking testimony. And I know that he's coming in. We keep praying. We keep. Don't ever stop praying for your children. Don't ever stop praying for your children, no matter where they are, what they live through every day, what they say out of their mouth. Cancel all those curses because you have what you say. And keep praying for them. Cover them in prayer. Cover them in prayer. Wash them. Wash them. And somebody somewhere will come along and say something that's going to open those seeds that you plant. Somebody's going to water those seeds. And there's going to be a harvest. And they will come. They will come. They will come. They will come. Don't ever give up on them. Don't ever give up on your children. Ever. Ever. Don't ever give up on God. I mean, yeah, you think about the power of prayer. I understand the power of prayer. 
I understand it. It is huge. It is huge. You have a direct line. You have a direct line to our God, to our God. And he's good. He loves and he wants nothing but the best. And he wants to bring all you, all of us into the fold, our generations. I mean, we have the, the generations, generations. And so when he was talking about doing, uh, talking about purpose and, you know, some of us may go through life and not really know what our purpose is. I know what my purpose is. I know. I know what our purpose is together. And I know what Kevin's purpose is. And did I know when I first met him? No, I didn't know. You know, you just, you know, no, well, that's not the right one. So, but God, but God, but God had a plan and we are still in it. Praise God. It's amazing. Amazing. God is amazing. God made a power couple. And we all, all our marriages are a testimony to God's love. And, and together we're, we're powerful couples that can do a lot for the kingdom of God. So in leaving, you guys just dare to care. I think the biggest thing is just dare to care. Be intentional about what you're doing for the, for the kingdom of God. You know, be, have a kingdom mindset, kingdom, kingdom focus, and a generational focus on how are we affecting the generations today. You know, that everything that we do affects our children and our children's children. That's pretty much as far as we're going to go down on that, unless you have great, great grandkids. Um, it's really, we need to purpose what we're doing and be very intentional in what we're doing to guide this, these generations back to a loving God that's, that wants to have that covenant relationship with them. Amen. I appreciate your time. We love you guys. We thank you for being a part of our lives. Was that awesome? Yes, sir. Amen. Well, Kevin, while you were sharing, I, this is probably about the third time I've heard your testimony. And uh, I'm just amazed how great our God is. Just to show you that, you know, there, there's no limitations to what he will do if we will just open up our hearts and uh, let him... Uh, have his way in our life, just the things that he went through, you know, as a as a child, and then into teenage years, and then up into you know, full adult, and everything else. Just the challenges of life. The devil was just working double, double, 
double time trying to take him out of this life. But yet, God is faithful. Somebody was praying for you, believing for you, and those seeds came to fruition. So, and probably most of us in this room have testimonies of the same similarities, but maybe in a different respect. Yes, Tom. Oh, gee, that, that would be back in the uh, 80s, probably, early, early 80s. Amen. Back in back in the uh, '80s, uh, me and another minister were involved in the Philippine Islands, and we started a Bible college in the Philippine Islands. And we would fly back and forth, uh, doing you know graduation classes and everything else. So uh, I would uh, in the in the formative the beginning years. I would uh, fly and meet them in uh, Honolulu, and then we'd fly from Honolulu over to the Philippines, and we'd do our missionary work there and and uh, our Bible school and everything else. We would we would minister to ministers in the morning sessions, and uh, then in the evening sessions we'd have open air crusades, and. Uh, People would come out by the thousands at the Crusades, just by the thousands, uh, just to hear the gospel. They were so hungry for the word. Well, I said all that to say that whenever I'd come back to uh, start my flight back, uh, I would uh, let Diane know, and she would meet me in Hawaii, fly to Hawaii. At least she did the first time. She met me in uh, Hawaii, and back then you could take the same ticket that you went out on, and you could you could lay over for 30 up to 30 days and pick up and fly on home without having to spend any more money uh, as far as plane was concerned. And so that's, that's what we were doing back then. And then of course, then Diane flew out with me once uh, the school got really going and everything else. It was just, uh, it was just an awesome thing. Uh, We were pastoring at the time. Um, but uh, I, when I'd go over to the Philippines and Diane got to witness it, people would stand out on the highways when they knew that we were coming with with posters and, and uh, little billboard signs and stuff like that on the side of the highway, welcome, Pastor Phil, welcome, you know, and and your team and, and that sort of thing. And then when we would get come to get back on the airplane, uh, they would, uh, when we get out of the vehicle, uh, they would come and grab a hold of my legs, and uh, they would 
you know, be looking up at me and I'd be looking down at them and, and they, they would say, please stay, teach, please stay, teach. Tears just streaming down their eyes and, and uh, same, same thing for me. I could hardly even see them anymore because I was crying so hard, uh, you know. So I'd come home to my church and I'd say, I'm back for one reason, is to get your money to go back <laughs> to the Philippines, you know. I said, the hunger, the hunger, I just, you know, when you go to a third world country, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. Uh, the hunger, they just don't have what you and I have. I mean, we have to beg people to come to church from a block away, you know, and to our church services and stuff, but not there. They came for miles and miles some one guy in particular spent 30 days getting to the minister's conference. He came by way of canoe, uh, water buffalo, if you know what a water buffalo is, water buffalo, and then eventually they would get to civilized land and they would catch a jeepney, which is nothing more than an American jeep that is turned into a, uh, a tool to carry people, you know, haul them around. Well, people, pigs, chickens, all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it was just amazing. But it took him 30 days to get there. And then he slept on the ground on a little mat about that thick on the ground for the entire conference. You know, and he was pastoring in one of the islands of the Philippines and uh, it was just amazing. But anyway, I said all that to say this. I, I'm so appreciative of you kept, you kept saying over and over that our God, is a, he's really an awesome God. That's what you're saying. He is just such an awesome God that never forgets his creation. He had a call upon your life. He knew the call and the destiny he had for you. And he was intent and purposeful for seeing to it that your life was salvaged and saved so that you would become what he's called you to be and to do. And which brought me back to Matthew chapter number 11. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He said, and I will give you rest. It's time for us to rest and let God be God. He will flow through us. He'll open the doors. He'll close the doors we don't need to be involved in. Then he says, take, upon, take my yoke upon you. And he said, learn of me. And that's the key, is to learn of him, who he is, what he's come to do, and to fulfill and satisfy your life. There is nothing that you have need of that he hasn't already made the supply line. There is not a miracle that you might need in your life that he has not already reserved that for you. It is his goodwill to give you the kingdom of God. He's already done it. And so we can stand complete and fulfilled in him, knowing, not questioning, but knowing that he has satisfied the gavel of justice for all mankind. And he goes on and he says his yoke is easy. It's not hard. 
It's not hard to serve the Lord. It's easy. Look at your neighbor and say, it's easy. It's easy. It really is. You, you come and are attending in an exceptional church. And there's not a one of you in here that has not been called to be mentored, to be encouraged, to be instructed, and to be challenged, to be, to be an example to those that you come in contact with. Uh, with Diane and I pastoring for 41 years, I'm telling you, and being around and traveling around and everything else and ministering, this church is a hot pocket, has been ever since the day that we recognized it when we started coming here with our daughter, when we would come to the conventions, Brother Copeland and everything else that was going on, we would fly down, stay with Tiffany, and then on Sundays we would come here to this church. And because it was so much like the church that we pastored, the love of God that was here, the love of God that was there, and everything else. So when we, when we you know, were told by the Lord it was time for us to finish up where we were at in Massachusetts for 28 years, uh, it was a hard thing because you fall in love with the people. I never fell in love with the weather. The reason I stayed was because of the people. I wasn't uh, acclimated to 20 below zero. It just was not a part of my nature. But the people is what made it worthwhile. And, you know, we built us a home in a very beautiful uh, area um, with three acres of land and up on the side of a mountain. And uh, it was like a dream home. So whenever I told Diane, the Lord spoke to me, that it was time for us to leave, you can just imagine. I mean, it was like ripping her heart out. It wasn't just the house. It was the people. The people. And I said, but that's what the Lord said. And I said, I told her. I told her, her that six years before we actually moved is that the Lord was bringing it to a close. And he was, and he did. And so we knew exactly where we were going to go when we left, and the Lord told us to come here. We knew exactly where we were going to be planted. We didn't have to go church hopping, looking for a place. We knew where our church family was. And we came here and been received in that same manner as we were there. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. It's time for us to begin to make preparation. To break down our meeting here and everything else. We have, thank God for all of you that are here uh, today. We're so grateful and thankful. Many of them are at ISIS uh, you know, today, yesterday and today. Um, excuse me, I, icing. What did I say, ISIS? <laughs> icing, excuse me. Many of them are there. 
you know, being blessed and ministered to. And uh, we miss them not being here. But nonetheless, uh, while you're standing, I want you to put your hand on the person that's on your right hand and your left hand or hold their hand. And I want you to pray with them. I want you to pray and agree with them for what they're needing. You won't know what it is. Just pray in the Holy Ghost over them. Amen. And believe God for supernatural interventions, just like what happened with Penny's son. That can happen for any one of us that have a need for our family members to be touched and ministered to. You may have somebody in your family that is sick. Pray for them and believe God for supernatural healing. There may be lost loved ones. I would imagine most of us have some lost loved ones in our families that need a touch from heaven. Pray for their children, grandchildren, and believe God for them. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your word. You have sent your word to us to heal us and to deliver us from every form of darkness. And that goes not just for the individuals that we're praying for, but for their family members. We release them now. We remind you, Satan, that all of our families belong to us and you cannot have dominion and authority over them. We speak the peace of God on them. We speak the, the presence of God on them. We speak that the Holy Spirit is moving upon them and those that are not born again or those that are in a backslidden condition, that you're drawing them unto yourself. We claim them for the kingdom of God. And we command Satan and every demonic force to take your hands off of God's property. That's our property. You let go in Jesus' name. We speak health and healing into their bodies. No matter what sickness or what disease, we speak healing into their lives right now. We speak deliverance to those that are bound by all forms of lies from the devil. Not just alcohol, not just drugs, not just homosexuality, but every other thing that is a, just a straight lie from the pits of hell. We speak it to be loosened from their lives. We claim their souls for the kingdom of God and that they will surrender and we praise you for it we expect to hear good reports and testimonies of family members sons, daughters, grandchildren moms, dads aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters all coming to the saving knowledge and the delivering power of the Lord himself. 
Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We're coming to you, asking you. You said whatever things that we would ask the Father in the name of Jesus, that would you do. So we're believing you now in Jesus' name. You said if any two on this earth would agree together on any given subject according to your plan and your will and purpose, that it shall be done of our Father which is in heaven. We know it's your desire that the lost be saved. We know that it's your desire that those that are backslidden would turn and come back in to the fold. We know that it's your desire that all be healed and well in the name of Jesus. And we give you praise for it. We agree together. We believe together. We stand together. And we receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody's in agreement, say amen. Amen, amen and amen.